Alright everybody, here we are back with another episode of Hacks History. I hope you enjoyed our retreat into Soviet Russia. If you haven't checked it out, it's a lovely place. Yeah. Just absolutely just, just balmy. Just, just, just balmy. It's balmy. You know what? I'll see you know it's, it's, it's balmy. You know what I'll say balmy? Balmer? Balmer? <laughs> I've heard so. Is it, is it? I don't know. Who tells me? I don't know. I heard right. from people. But I'll tell you what, though. We're on a new topic today. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into the new topic and releasing what it is, if you haven't read the title yet. Release. <laughs> release the title. All right. Anyway, we uh, <laughs> we have some social media you can follow us on. You can follow us on Facebook at Hat, uh, excuse me, at Hat History. You just search the page. You can find that. Yeah. And you can find us on Instagram at Hat underscore History. And uh, you can send us an email at hatchhistory101 at gmail.com. Also, uh, if you want to potentially buy some merchandise at some point, not sure why, hit us up, let us know. We'd love to do that if we actually have enough demand for that. Yeah. Um, we would love it if people were like, do you know what I need? A fucking t-shirt of these uh, people. And also, <laughs> if you guys are interested, uh, we would love to get some specials and, and uh, extras on a Patreon, but we're not going to put that effort in uh, if there's not the demand. So uh, please let us know if that's something you'd like to see from us. But anyway, Jake, we got a new topic today. Jake, what are we go? We, what oh, are we talking about now? We're trekking down south a we're little. Continue the Cold War trend is what yeah, I Yeah, we're continuing that Cold War. I mean, I should know because I, I I made the schedule. Yeah, you did. Thank you. We get it. You vape. Anyway, so <laughs> I don't vape, but you wish you did. Uh, false. <laughs> God damn it! What did we say? <laughs> it doesn't matter. What, what what are we talking about? What are we talking about? I don't know. So we're going down south. Further south than that. Wherever you're thinking there in the listenership, further south than there. Um, too thinking, south. Too far south. But if you're thinking Antarctica, you, then you went too far north. Y'all, then you've gone too far north. you got to turn around and go back up. It's like, we're like those instructions on Google Maps. And Google Maps is like, if you've hit the railroad tracks, you've gone, you've gone too, too far. far. <laughs> Just hits the rail tracks. Fuck! If you've, been, if you've been smashed into a train, you've gone too far. You've gone too far. <laughs> no, we're going to be heading to the world of Cuba. Ooh. Everybody loves Cuba. That, Why does that what, sound so listen, fucking bad? Everybody loves Cuba. Sounds like a like spinoff of Everybody Loves Raymond, but like it's just Fidel Castro. <laughs> everybody loves Fidel. It's Fidel who's like Raymond, and his brother Raúl is just. But yeah, but it's like old as hell Fidel, but he starts playing like old pop culture references. Like he starts playing the song Havana, like Havana. Oh, nah. <laughs> No, Ew. To, Fuck that song though, because they're like, I moved from Havana to East Atlanta, and see, I'm like, neither, like, listen, one option was listen, better than the other. I like that song. I think that song's You good. know what? Yeah, I, I yeah you like, like it when Shout you know, out the booty Camila pops. No, she's a yeah. wonderful artist. Sim. <laughs> anyway, so well, specifically what we're looking at here is Bay of Pigs Invasion. Um, So this first episode is going to be mostly, again, like most of some of the medium dives that we do it's going to be some preliminary stuff at first we're going to get to know some of the people we're going to get to know the world we're living in we're going to get to know the times and the people we're going to teach you how to be a butcher i'm concerned <laughs> i don't know what that means no, it means like you're slashing through some pigs you, some would say like three or four is a someone some would say pigs. a bay of pigs yeah some would say yeah no pigs. so we're not though going to do that what we're going to do here is we're going to talk a little bit about, like, just Cold War by where are we starting at 1959. That's where we're and starting at. I don't know a whole lot about this, so I'm actually pretty excited to yeah. something. I and can't wait for Lucas to be like, are you sure that's right, even though he knows nothing That's one all. of the most only genuine times I've ever said that to Jake, so Jake, I Yeah, I know. It. He really is just hammering home that I'm a special boy. Fuck you, Dad. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> Love you, son. <laughs> 
So yeah, I don't gonna, say it enough. We're gonna talk about politics specifically globally. We're gonna talk a little bit about Latin America around this time too. Not okay. too deep, but we're gonna talk about sort of the way America is setting the scene. Setting like the it. scene, yeah. And then we're gonna talk a little bit about our main character, which is Fidel. Fidel. I again sound like a fucking asshole. I realize that. No, it's not fiddle. It's Fidel. Yeah, you uncultured fucks. <laughs> That's right. He's the original Chad. <laughs> He is in some ways, but we will be talking about that, and we're going to wrap this episode up, hopefully, if we get to it. We are going to wrap this episode up basically talking about his trip to America and where Americans felt about him by the uh, end of 1959. I've heard a rumor that that, uh, that trip to America actually inspired the plot of Coming to America 2. I literally wrote a joke on my fucking notes about Coming to America 2, and Did then I changed know? it to National Lampoon's American Vacation. Well, see, I got your Coming to America joke in there. You okay, anyway. You didn't even know it was coming. And now, <laughs> you got me. I got you, bro. Anyway, so... <laughs> Uh, ask a big question here. What's the world in 1959? What's that Cold War looking like, huh? Is it new? Is it fresh? No. It it's not fresh. No, it's it's been old. there for a fucking pretty while. For a hot minute, it's been around. Since so, the start of world, since the end of World War II. Pretty much. 1947. Yeah. I think yeah, I made it Yep. So uh, I made a point here that if we want to understand how the Bay of Pigs came to be, we do need to understand how the two superpowers are squaring off in 1959. Because inevitably, this becomes a bigger ideological battle, right? Yeah, it does. Is that a symbol for something? What are you doing? Nothing. Okay. It's doing me, man. The squirrels are back. I'm going to punch you in the face. Let's do it. Anyway. I'm going to invade your bed, pigs, you fucking asshole. <laughs> that sounds like a sexual in you, I know. It's not, though. I'm about to invade your bay of pigs with my American democracy. That's not like shit. Anyway, it's like, so much imitating JFK. Oh, I'm about to invade your bad pigs, Marilyn. <laughs> I don't care if I gotta dig you up to do it. She died after him. Anyway, oh, Jesus Christ, it's so bad. All right, let's... I may remind you of a man in our friends group who talked about fucking her bones at some point in time. He shall not be named. He shall not be for. He's in witness protection now. Um. <laughs> But anyway, we've got two big... Obviously, we've got the U.S. and the U.S.S.R. We've got Eisenhower leading the United States in... the U.S.S.R.? Yes. So that's my obligatory Beatles reference. Of course. And then we have Khrushchev in the Soviet Mm -hmm. Union, which if we talked about the death of Stalin, uh, Khrushchev episode four, if you haven't, get on that shit. We... Good callback. Yeah. (laughs) We uh, we talked about how Khrushchev basically took in that power placement. He's like, you know what? You're all my bitches now. Especially you, Barry. Hey, you know, that's exactly what he said. Direct quote. He looked at. He's it's like, literally in the hall of like the Kremlin. You are it's just you are you are my bitches now. Yep. Good. That was you're getting better at access though. Yeah, I'm getting there. Yeah. You're getting there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so since the end of the Second World War in 1945, we have two emerging superpowers. Obviously, we have got the U.S. and the Soviet Union. They've been locking horns, just just for funsies, just locking horns, all of it. Yeah. At this point specifically. To kind of give us a sort of like retrospective backboard, the U.S. had enjoyed a nuclear monopoly, but that shit was fucking gone by 1949. Yeah, no, they were yeah. catching up. Yeah, they kept stuff. They caught up real fast. Yeah. In fact, if we ever talked about that, which we haven't probably, is uh, we in America were so fucking up our own ass, we didn't think the Russians, who had about about 50% of most of the German nuclear nah, scientists. See, We'd never be able to create a bomb. Yuri and Ivan over there, they're not going to be able to figure this out. They can't even fucking write. They don't even know how to make alcohol other than fucking vodka. I think they're going to... Yeah. 
I'm gonna just give up on that right away. You did. You're sl- I'm just gonna let him go out. I'm not even gonna support him. Just gonna let, let you burn fly. out. Just I'm gonna let, let you fly. burn out like Sputnik in the atmosphere. Ooh. Anyway. Truth. Yep, we they far exceed our estimates in 1949 with an atomic bomb, and then we detonate a hydrogen bomb in 52, and then they detonate a hydrogen bomb in 54. See, honestly, it would be like the U.S. to be like, okay, we did it. No one's ever going to be able to figure this out because we are the greatest. Yeah, literally, but the Rosenbergs cracked that fucking code. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you don't know about the Rosenbergs, hella good spies. <laughs> hella good spies. In fact, we should have probably done an episode on that, but don't we matter. still could, Jake. Yeah. It's the winter, man. We got time, my friend. We do. Anyway, so obviously we've got uh, another point is that we got Soviet influence in other nations. It's starting to solidify. Obviously, which we're talking Eastern Bloc. We're talking, you know, Warsaw Pact. Soviets in Moscow are not backing down, no All matter right, so how hard we me, basically. Let me just quickly recite, re, re, uh, re, uh, just explain what the Warsaw Pact is for yeah. people that don't know. So the Warsaw Pact. <laughs> Such a fucking thing. You explain it then. <laughs> What's the Warsaw Pact, Jake? The Warsaw Pact is basically a combination of a bunch of Soviet satellite states that was the idea was kind of similar to NATO, where if they uh, got attacked, acting as a buffer state to the USSR, like the actual like Russian Federation of the Soviets. There's a whole ethnic thing. Don't get me into it. So, okay. Okay. In English, what Jake is saying is that. <laughs> Shut up, Dad. Essentially. Uh, fucking. <laughs> At the end of World War II, um, the U.S. and Russia and surrounding countries kind of got the whole idea of basically military based on ideology, where it's yeah. like, if we don't make these com- countries capitalists, then they will just fall to this other ideology. It's that domino theory that they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so the domino theory, and then basically you yeah. have uh, the uh, you have NATO and you know a lot of those other countries like in like western europe, europe coming together with the u.s being like we're going to defend against communism yeah. and then you have uh on the other side with the warsaw pact you have soviet union and ukraine and yugoslavia and all the Slavians, poland <laughs> poland coming together saying oh we're communists dude we're going to join even though technically they may not have wanted to be they had no choice yeah the soviets were like hey guys communism is pretty dope and i'd really appreciate it if you support us and, and then poland said no and then they said the t-34s and you rolled everybody over say Hey guys, communism's great, and I really appreciate it now if you would support it. Communism's good. Yeah, yeah. it's good. It's real exactly. good. That, that's, that's what I was trying to yeah, do. No. To the so, yeah. so, yeah, and the fact was, too, when we talk about like the Warsaw Pact, again, it, it's almost like a buffer. The Russians are just really paranoid about invasions, so you've got two massive groups basically sort of staring each other down, and now that the Russians had the atom bomb, the Americans were pretty freaked out. Because they, oh, yeah, you, you couldn't really they, tell what the other yeah, side they, wanted they to they do. Didn't, they didn't think they were gonna get there. Like, oh, these yeah. fuckers done that. We figure it out. Exactly. And the fact too was that they didn't actually know if the Russians would use it. You know, there was a lot of like gray area, which I could totally kind of understand that fear. Like, this is not in the 19, like by the 1980s when I would talk about like people understanding the USSR, people actually tried to give a shit and, and actually attempt it. As were beforehand, they didn't care. <laughs> Well, it was basically just that whole big scary other. That's how you get things like duck and cover. That's how you get all that propaganda. Joseph fucking McCarthy. But yeah, that's how you yeah. Richard fucking Nixon. But, okay, but you know okay, but hey, there's there's a larger point here. Basically, the reason that they didn't go into further details because they were like, hey, like basically is because it was economically profitable for the one side to be yeah. like these guys are scary unknown figures and we'll never understand them because. It allowed them to, to, you know, capitalize off all that fear and yeah. keep getting elected. 
which is pretty fucked up, but it still happens. <laughs> it still happens. It's still a strategy we see yeah. used, and you know, some big orange man is probably gonna try to do that again in 2024. So yeah, or his greasy fucking son. Either way, he's gonna get on stage and slip slide right off that bitch. Fuck that man. Yeah, no. Anyway. Um, yep, and that, that basically points it out, you know, solidified now, Soviet Union is an actual thing, the borders are drawn, literally, because if you were, if you didn't know anything about early Cold War history, the borders were not hardened, like, we're not talking Berlin Wall yet, so East and West Germany did get split up in the mid-50s, but the fact was that there was no wall until 61, so there was no physical barrier yet, um, naturally, of course, diplomatically, naturally, we gotta get into that fucking thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Soviets have been playing some hardball. Berlin is one of them big sticking points. Yeah, they they really want that city just just theirs. Just the city. Just, it's just in the just a teensy bit in their fucking territory. Just a little bit. Just a teensy bit. We get it. I do. <laughs> yeah, no, we have we got multiple attempts. We were trying to work with them, trying to call them out on shit, and trying to work with them. And we were either being turned down or ignored all the way out. They were ghosting us hard. So like, and we were like, hey, but what if we... Uh, nothing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> there was just something in the Kremlin was like, uh, no. <laughs> no. It basically, like, if I were talking... Like, if you are talking to somebody on the phone, like, hey, it would be a really good idea with the next board meeting. If, and they just fucking hug us. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah! <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not... It <laughs> was <can't>... something. <laughs> um, yeah, so those multiple attempts, not great. Definitely does not put the Western powers in a fuzzy fucking mood. Yeah, I would assume not. Yeah, and for <laughs> sure, you've got people like Winston Churchill out there fighting off like six or seven heart attacks a day, trying to tell us how evil the Soviets are by just talking about this. He's out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. oh, God. Shall fight them in uh, the beaches? Uh, we shall fight them in the bathtub. Yeah, but, yeah, but then he has the heart attack. He's like, oh, go, go. Oh, the Soviets are evil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love the, the concept of the fucking Iron Curtain speech he gives us in, in Kansas. <laughs> Montana. We're some pogo middle of nowhere fucking town. But yeah, it, um... Yeah, we did we'll see... We'll fight them in the trenches. We'll fight them. We'll fight them in the trenches. We'll fight them on the landing ground. Uh, we'll fight them. We'll fight them in the pie shops. And we shall fight them... Uh, uh, I forgot my next words. Yeah, yeah, it's the words. Ooh. Ooh. Right, uh, so uh, them on the beaches again. Uh, 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 anyway, uh, Lucas has got his soup. Uh, uh, Lucas has got his soup now. <laughs> No soup. <laughs> no, there is no soup. No soup. Anyway, so yeah, we've got a, we got. Uh, the fact we're trying to play nice, and it's just not working. They're not sharing. They're not what sharing. Just trying to play nice. Trying to play nice. No, uh, yeah, the better and half. <laughs> yeah, I know. In the later half of the 1950s, here we're looking at a lot of actually seriously aggressive behavior from the Soviets in general. Like, usually with the Soviets, the Americans, don't, we never got into it. Hopefully, we never do. Because <laughs> holy fuck, we'd be screwed. But, um, but yeah. No, we proxy warred a bit. We had Korea in the early 50s, for sure. That was definitely something that did not make it look any better. Um, That's a little bloop on the radar, you know? A little bit of a bloop, unfortunately. <laughs> for a lot of people, it wasn't so much that small. Yeah, um, it's pretty fucked up. That's a fucking... The only reason that people don't talk about Korea as much is because Vietnam happened. Yeah, Vietnam. But Korea was just fucked up. But you need to kick ass soundtrack to Korea. All you had like, all you needed, all you had was like shadoobadoobie or whatever it was. 
50s was not very good at protest no, music. It really wasn't. No, it wasn't. Anyway, you need to, well, you need to introduce acid. Thanks to the CIA, we did do that. Anyway. I love it. Yeah, thanks to the CIA, we did it. We did it. We did, we did it. it. We got him. We did it, boys. We got him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyway, so what we're looking at here was, too, later half of the 50s was definitely an aggressive year. Or uh, just a fucking decade in general. <laughs> an aggressive year. Just one year. After that, we were real passive. Pretty much. We had the Soviets taking much more confrontational tone to anything that called for solidarity. They crushed the Polish uprising in 56, intervened in the Suez crisis in the autumn of 56, and then they steamrolled the Hungarian uprising in the October to November season of 1956. <laughs> they really were on the move. Holy shit. Well, and then were, they were back in Iran there, too, a little They bit. were ready for 1956. Ready to fucking roll. They were, they were coming in blasting hard base and shit on their tanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're destroying houses. Oh, my fucking God. It was a, it was definitely, it was a, it was a banger. Some said they had a Back to the Future moment, and someone was on one of those Russian tanks, and it was an American somehow. And he heard, all of a sudden, he heard someone strumming on the guitar. And he's like, wait, I gotta call my cousin. Credence! Hey, Credence! It's your brother, Michael! Michael Clearwater Revival! You know that new sound you've been listening to? Well, listen, <laughs> That's so fucking well-worn, but I love it. It's Michael Credence Clearwater Revival! I'm sorry. I wanted to go there so much. That's so good. Yeah, no. Uh, we also got the space race going on, everybody. Hooray! Yay. Yeah, we weren't doing too hot this time. We didn't put a man on the moon. I put a man on the moon. Or did we? No, yeah, we, we, did. we did. I know we did. We, did. <laughs> we wouldn't spend billions of dollars on a fucking space program that doesn't exist. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the Soviets definitely took the edge early, and in the 50s in general, actually the late 50s, because naturally the Russians got a lot of Nazis to build the missiles and rockets, and we did too. Oh, we did. Oh, we did. We got a lot. We fucked Oppenheimer up. was real. We did a lot of fucking bad shit, man. The Operation Paperclip was like, you know, this is actually, like, we had to, like, they're like, we probably should do this. Listen, these people are scientists. You good. I don't even know what you did. Get in what, here, bro. What's Auschwitz? I don't know what Auschwitz get, is. Get, get in here, bro. Get, oh, get in here. Puts a fake mustache on him. Uh, you're, I'm Adolf Eichmann. No, no, you're at... You're, you're Albert. You're, you're Albert Wesker. Yeah, Albert Johnson. It's <laughs> your name. You are Michael Jordan, and you will go on to play basketball. Where does they actually try to get Joseph Mengele too? But uh, turns out uh, the angry mob pillaged it before they got to. Him. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> anyway, uh, so around the 1959-2, we were looking at Sputnik One going into space in 1957 specifically, which was good. No, I'm sorry. Did I say 1951? I don't know what the fuck happened. Um, no. In the 50s. Yeah, it was in 57. The Sputnik one went up, and Sputnik is honestly to me is kind of like this is the most adorable satellite I've ever fucking seen. Yeah, it's pretty dumb. I want to fucking hug it. I know it sounds weird, but I really want it's to. It's burning down through the atmosphere. It's falling. Actually, down. I know, I know a place where somebody said they picked up chunks of it because it blew down the atmosphere and a chunk of it landed in their oh, farm yeah. field. Yeah, here in Wisconsin. Just don't go to the Etlov Pass. No, no. I mean, they're still trying to figure that shit out. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, Actually, and some then, people just died there recently, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's probably not a good place to go. Yeah. The more you know. <laughs> LeVar Burton's The More You Know. Don't fuck around at places that are dangerous. Uh, too. And then later in that year, too, specifically, we got Laika, which was the first animal sent into orbit in November of that same year. That was the dog. Oh, it was, let's send an animal up there. 
It didn't live. <laughs> no, it didn't. Yeah, no, like it was a stray off the streets of Moscow, and somehow, some way, she had the fucking look wild ride. <laughs> Went up and uh, didn't make it back, but uh, you know, hey. Like, I usually go ahead and uh, you know, go up, and then hopefully it'll go boom, boom. Basically, that's kind of how it went. If you've ever seen any of the Russian space program, I'd say there was about a 50 to 60% failure rate that they just never talked about. <laughs> you ever seen the picture of the fucking cosmonaut that, like, was on the launch platform before it was supposed to be Yuri, and he's decided to take his place? And Karen <laughs> and this dude blew up, and they had an open casket, and it was just his charred remains that looked like if lightning had struck a beach somewhere. It looked like glass. Why did the Russian government allow that to be an open casket? That really just... Because it actually was supposed to be like a, a protest. Oh, okay. In death, which was actually kind of a, kind of metal as fuck, to be honest. But It is, but but maybe they just don't, just don't fail. Yeah, no. I mean, the maybe take your some fucking time. Too, but like, I oh, dude, like we... no. I mean, that's what I said. If you take your fucking time and don't make it out of duct tape and turnip roots, we'll be fine. Well, I mean, That's what Soyuz 3 is going Soviet up there in the United States. Soviet-style in, industrial production. If you Quantity know, over uh, quality. Oh, heavily, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Probably got a couple rivets missing. <laughs> What's Challenger? <laughs> Chunks of fucking insulation foam falling off the top capsule. Anyway, I, I miss... I, I My heart goes out to that teacher who died. Anyway. Oh, uh, there yeah. ever that died in that fuck that's awful. For sure, yeah. Yeah, but, that, you know, that was a big fucking knockback for the United States where they couldn't even fucking get a rocket off the pad without blowing it up. And the Russians were able to throw one, one fucking thing. They were able to throw a satellite and a dog into space. And you know, you know They're cool? fucking tossing it out like it's PD throwing out money to hookers. It's like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah, and then we got the biggest contention. Probably 1959, what probably would be for the good chunk of the rest of the Cold War, up until now is the fact that the U.S. and the U.S.S.R. started pushing for third-world countries towards either capitalism or communism, respectively. Uh, hey, you want to be a capitalist? Hey, you want to be a communist? It's more like you're going to be capitalist because we're going to overthrow that dictator and we're going to put in a new and one. The U.S. still does that shit. Uh, we do, and we have... I know. I have friends in Nicaragua who will talk uh, about it, and they are not happy. Nicaragua. <laughs> they actually hate America, but they love Wisconsin. I don't know why. They think we're a separate entity into the United States. And I'm like, you know what? I won't destroy your dreams. You know what? Listen, shout out to anybody if they're listening from Nicaragua. They probably aren't because they have had two hurricanes in the last year of political unrest. I don't think they... If you're still listening somehow... If you're alive... We love you. Hola. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry we fucked everything up for you guys. I really do. Anyway, um, but yeah, specifically Latin America was a big area that we were going to be fighting for. So that moves us to Latin America in 1959. Also titled, We Have Arrived. What did the white people do this time? Uh, apropos. A lot of shit. A lot of bad <laughs> shit. Uh, okay, anyway. So, again, the point is this. To understand the situation that drove Cuba specifically to oust the brutal dictator Fulgencio Batista, which is a badass name, by the way, although he's a probably fucking really bad dude. So he started from so 53. Like he's a UFC fighter. He, he probably is related to one. <laughs> Is it Dave Batista, like the wrestler? Um, maybe. <laughs> but we know that this whole thing of ousting him started in 53 and it ended in 59. So that's kind of why I started it here. Is that this is kind of the year of, like, a new Cuba. We're not dealing with that shit anymore. But we're looking at how Latin America is being treated by its big capitalist neighbor to the north. Uh, right? Because yep. if you know anything about Latin America in the 50s, post-World War II, shit, post-Spanish-American War, America <laughs> decided to really just... Kind of be a dick about it. 
Hey, Latin America, what if we were American, but because you're brown, we treated you like you were children? That's pretty much where we're coming. You cool with that? (laughs) You did? We cool? We cool? We cool? Oh, no. All right, anyway. So, yeah, in in general, like I said, we're going to talk Latin America just as a whole first thing, Cuba specifically, because Mm -hmm. it's huge to why we have a fucking problem with them. And trust me, I tried to find memes, by the way. (laughs) Turns out, right-wingers, really fucking bad at the internet. Really bad at cropping, really bad at memes you know, in general. That's because most of them are boomers, so, you know? That's... And some of them are some super angry, like, semi-millennial cucks. Mm-hmm. Snowflake. Anyway. <laughs> Snowflake. Fucking at me. Ben Shapiro gets destroyed, or destroyed by a woman with facts and logic. Otherwise known as half of Tucker Carlson's audience. I think pretty much, like, 90% of Tucker Carlson's audience and 90% of Tucker Carlson. Besides the other 10% of Tucker Carlson that likes getting like whipped by a leather daddy on his off time, um. But anyway, know he's about it. can we spin? Can we spin that fucking zone? <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, the general sense here we're looking at Latin America in the late 50s was one of those primarily still under the control of the old colonial powers. It was around this time we're starting to see a lot of places like India and Africa starting to sort of shake that. The problem is you know colonial powers are like. Um, we're bored now, and then they leave, basically, and left people in fucking Africa to just try to void the gap of what to do. Well, we, uh, we took over. Drought. I'll tell you what, it didn't work. All right, well, pit, uh, uh, pit's on toast. Beans on toast. Pit's on toast. We're going to head out. We're going to head out. We're going to see you. Yeah, that was kind of how it went. And then specifically, you know, in areas like Latin America, where we'd been fucking around since before the Civil War... Because, God, if we ever do a Civil War episode, I'd love to talk about the oh, fucking filibusteros. Right, I'm sure we'll do a whole Civil Dude, War Dude, the filibusteros are such a fucking irritating part of American history. But, um, yeah, we've been fucking around down there for a long, long time. Since Mexico, since, you know, the first Nicaraguan revolt, since, you know, a bunch of other shit that we did. Since, you know, the Spanish-American War. You know, we've been down there, but we've been fucking around and fighting people. The problem is now that we haven't been fighting people. America basically has just sort of been jamming economic influence up and down all these other places. So specifically in Latin America, you've got a lot of things that people grow. You've got people producing sugarcane, which is a huge deal. So you've got massive American companies there. You've got oil and coal refineries all along the place, or mining and refineries and places like that. We've got the American Navy and the military who's got places like in Cuba, we've got Guantanamo Bay that's still there. But it was used as a naval base. And so we were basically sort of just like, you know, we were the new imperialist power, even if we tried not to be it, you know? So, you know, and for the most part, like I said, colonial powers, we, it was either that or they were serving up to American businesses and tourism dollars. Really big. And if you know anybody who lives in a tourism town, as I do, the locals fucking hate it. <laughs> but they don't have a choice. Like the Dells, yeah. Like the Dells, like Door County is a big one. Actually, have you ever talked to anybody from Door County that's a local? They hate the tourism, they do. They hate the people because it's driven the land prices up to like just shy of a million an acre. Yeah, the problem is, it's like, well, do you want to take out like literally 100% of your city's economy? Exactly. Like this is the whole thing. Like this is the same thing with a lot of third world countries. You don't have a choice. Like the choice is bad. Either you fucking go backwards, and how does that work out? Bad. Or you keep kowtowing to these white assholes who basically treat you like you're a bunch of fucking like like sideshow. So, I mean, of course, like I said, beneath an exterior of this lavish tropical paradise that would happen in a lot of these countries, 
the hard truth is that we have a lot of local people who found the Americans to be just as fucking pompously annoying as the fucking Europeans. Because, no. yeah, because we had been freedom. We had the freedom. We had the freedom and damn we wanted to share the freedom. Yeah, basically, I would imagine, like, to them, would have been, like, America was, like, every modern country song when Trump was in power that was talking about, like, how <laughs> the good old boys were just messing around even though they, like, intimidated a Muslim family. You know, shit like that. And it, that's the sort of shit. It was like, it's just like, you speak freedom, but you're all just a bunch of hypocrites. Listen, I'm going to go down to Ileana Omar's house, and uh, I'm going to tell her she's I'm going to take a shit on her no, doorstep. I'm actually, I was going to tell her she's doing a great job. Oh, good. I like that. <laughs> that's thinking, man. I like that. I was just going to take a shit on her doorstep for a joke. But you know what? Now that I realize it, that's not PC. I can't do that. I'm glad you called my privilege on it. <laughs> anyway. That's all that's actually with. <laughs> Dude, I love that when shit like that happens, though. And yeah, for the most part, like I said, many locals were employed at American businesses and corporations who were there. So it was a huge deal for them. Yeah, you had money rolling in. And the problem was they're still living in pretty much object poverty. Yeah. Pretty bad. Not good. Abject, not object. Well, a select group of foreigners reap the rewards. That's what was pissing people off. I mean, anybody who lives in a For fucking... For good reason, I'll say. Anybody who lives in an industrial town will know this story in America. Literally, where you are the blue-collar worker, and you are pissed because the rich people come in there and move the factory out to Mexico. Even though, like I said, it's the person moving the factory's fault, not the Mexicans. So stop blaming the Mexicans, okay? <laughs> the Mexicans need jobs, too. All right. Oh, 100%. Gary. Everybody needs in money. Indiana. It's called money. You fucking it's asshole. Kind of necessary anyway. for human life. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, yeah, that's the fact is like those foreigners too. You have this like racist demeanor on top of that that's portraying these people backwards and childish, and that's just constantly bedding down this resentment that the local people are just like you fucking dicks. <laughs> like if Terrence in fucking accounting goes over and takes your parking spot that's rightfully yours because your employee of the month. Okay? And you worked hard for that. And then what do you do next? You and Terrence, Terrence turns out that he's fucking your wife, okay? What do you do next? You key Terrence's car. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what we call the Bay of Pigs. <laughs> Basically, Cuba keying America's car. God, that's a that really good metaphor. actually rap. That's does a really work. Good metaphor. Yeah, pat on the we back for into both of us. Nice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and most, obviously, too, we have a more notable and easily remembered example of this early pushback, and that's Cuba. Right, we talk about Nicaragua, you know, that's, the conscious thing's cute, it's really fucking complicated, but super interesting. But, I mean, that will come later. We start to see this more on, like, the later, after, especially after um, Cuban Missile Crisis, that's when we really started seeing these countries really jamming their fucking dick in the ear of every third world country up and down the Latin American area. Because they're like, you know what, this needs some Russian influence right here. I'm gonna dip my balls on Honduras's forehead. I I, uh, I dipped them in vodka and I played them in the country. Cool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So yeah, Cuba is this really kind of, it's also kind of a really irritating thing for a lot of Americans. You're like, you goddamn motherfucker, you're about 10 miles off of Mar-a-Lago right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and the fact was this, the pre-enforced short-time post-revolutionary Cuba was pretty much a glorified playground for horny and hammered Americans capable of blowing all or most of their cash at establishments meant to cater to their most carnal desires. Because, good. <laughs> but not good. Yeah, it's like the Dominican Republic, but closer. Or like, like Puerto Rico when white people will go down there. Or Costa Rica 
Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. It's like a sandals is what this is. And it's fucking agitating. Am I wrong? Am I the bad guy here? No, it's agitating. Okay. Because, god damn it. It's just like, it's like, like, another surface of Portavar. Can you understand me? Like that. That's a, like that, that's the shit we're talking about. I thought there's probably a right way to go to sandals and like be really respectful, but 90% of the people that go probably do not. There are fucking assholes. You can go dance with Cookie Monster, man. I won't judge. It's fine. I just want to eat some cookies. Honestly, right. I could care less about the dancing. You could eat the nookie and the cookie. Click, click, bro! I'm just going to leave it silence. <laughs> we're going to get sued shit. by Lip Biscuit. <laughs> It doesn't fucking matter. Limp Biscuit doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I take a quote here about that. Well, they're gonna diss track about a podcast. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> He's gonna diss track that no one's gonna listen to because it's gonna yeah. be on fucking Yahoo streaming or something like that. Yeah. Who's anyway, listen to Limp Biscuit anymore. Yeah, pretty much. So I kind of take a statement here. So the book that I've been reading is a, one of my more major sources, and I really enjoy this book so far. It's called The Brilliant Disaster by Jim Rasenberger. Rassenberger. It's actually a really good book. He goes, tries to shoot for a middle ground approach rather than putting blame on specifically one or the other group, which I kind of find really refreshing in these Cold War like history things because mm-hmm. people are like, it's all the fucking Cubans' fault, or they're blaming this all of it on the CIA or all of it on JFK. Well, it's probably some blame for everybody to go around. Oh there. no, it's all around, but most people try to keep it heavy on the CIA, and they do, they do do it. But it's kind of surprising once we go on that the CIA later on isn't exactly the first group of people to advocate trying to kill him. And uh, you might find a... Uh, it's episode... the State Department. You actually might find an episode about coming up at some point where we talk about all, just all the ways the CIA tried to kill... Well, I have them outlined. Uh, we're going to do that episode. <laughs> we're going to do it. So it's an example sort of these carnal desires. It kind of... Jim's book puts it in a really good light because he summarizes the basic American interest in Cuba as, quote, Sweet rum drinks, teenage prostitutes, live sex shows, and gambling at the Malbron casinos in Havana. Havana, oh, nah, nah. Thank you for glossing over the teenage prostitutes and live sex shows. Oh, no, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is, yeah, yeah. And the, the rich and powerful on the political scale and the economics, they went there, including a number of pretty notable senators. Including JFK. Probably like the Probably. the main ones to go there. Like, hey, let's go to Cuba, bro. JFK was the first, was one of them to go. By the way. Oh okay. I, yeah. Uh, not saying he fucked a kid. I'm just saying that well, he, he went. Definitely he definitely could have. He could have, yeah. Same Don't add us JFK's estate. <laughs> I mean, you're a, you're a complicated man. Um. Yeah, and that was kind of where it was. Uh, naturally, though, therefore being seen as nothing more than a large mixture of hotels. Oh, no, basically I called it as a larger-scale mixture of a Hooters and a Dave and Buster's. That's what I called that's, it. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Basically, that's kind of what Americans saw it as. It was titties and drinks and uh, fun shit to do. Uh, that sounds about right. That naturally like got the locals pretty fucking wrinkled. Yeah, you think? Yeah. You just might get kind of pissed about that it's if you live there, huh? It's a teeny bit. I'm gonna fucking do it. You won't. No I balls. I have my hand deep in feta right now. <laughs> is that the name of the girlfriend you have? No, it's cheese, motherfucker. Oh, cause, yeah, is that why your pants are off? <laughs> no. <laughs> I can explain. Why do you ask? I can explain. <laughs> oh, I love you. <laughs> I love you. Anyway, so yeah. I mean, at the earliest point, too, when the revolution started in 1953, it was pretty much just against Batista specifically. I would say that was probably where it started. But the fact was that, like most political outbursts, the motivation varies wildly from person to person. 
So, you know, one person can say they're fighting Batista, and another person can say they're fighting Batista because he's connected to America. Some people say they're fighting America. Some people just are fucking fighting for whatever other reason. Some people just jumped in because they're like, hey, war? I'm Some not- people said Panama, and then yeeted themselves. Panama! Yeah, they panama into their way into this thing. Panama! <laughs> and that was just long enough for us not to get fucking hammered up the ass with a cease and desist. That's good. We're doing good at that. We're doing, we, we know when to stop now. We're doing... <laughs> We're not talking about it for 20 minutes like the fucking Christopher Columbus episode. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for the fact, however, what we can say for sure is that Batista was a major motivator. Whether it was that some people say it was mostly America, some people say it wasn't, it doesn't really matter. Batista was the starting fucking spark of this whole shebang. And the fact was that, like, an average Cuban did benefit from American tourism dollars, partially in comparison. That was fucking really, really low scale because Batista, as an individual... On his own, pocketed an approximate total of $300 million. Oh, my God. Well, other people were nowhere getting anywhere near that much. That's Batista by himself, not the rest of his circle of generals and ministers. Was that in today's money or was that in money? That was, at least as far as I know, that was in today's money. But I I haven't checked the inflation. That was in past money. Like, holy shit. It's in past money. It probably is more. I, I think this book was written in 2012. But fucking hell, like, it's that's a lot, even for that. A lot of money. Yeah, even, definitely for 1959. Uh, on the reverse, of course, Batista kept his people subdued through a lot of terror campaigns against political dissidents and financial grafting to line his pockets. So, basically, you know, if you wanted a lucrative business deal in an American company, if you, ca- if you basically corrupted your way into the system by paying them off, yeah, you got what you wanted. That's how the mob got what they wanted in the casino you're in, business. You're in, bro. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and those people... Most of the people were starving while he was doing that. Oh, God. Not a bad, not a, not a, I'm sorry, not a bad combination. Not a good combination. That reminds me of, uh, who was that dictator that John Oliver covered in that one episode that, that was, like, literally making the, the, like, the show was an eating in between them while, like, all the people were, like, starving? I think it might have been Maduro. It might have been Maduro. All I remember was a dude who called himself the Bronco. I think that was a Mexican election episode, though. Yeah. El Bronco. El Bronco. And that guy, fucking goddammit. Anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's Batista doing all of this was considered American ally in Havana. I mean, the Americans liked him, and he gave them lucrative business. He gave business. them money. That's why he gave them money, them. and he would like them because he they supported him. And uh, yeah, that was for a lot of Cubans. That was basically the connection right there. Basically, was that Cubans naturally transferred some of his sins to the U.S. And with the proper person to mobilize the people to act, the Americans would inevitably become the focus of their resentment when Batista was fucking gone. So that's where kind of they got angry at us because they're like, you've just been kicking us around and treating us like shit. Now, we've not been brutalizing them as far as we knew, at least as far as I know, but we definitely didn't treat them well. We were treating them like assholes. And, I mean, it, it seems a lot to us that, you know, for what it's worth, a lot of this comes up unexpectedly because when we do history shit like this, people are like, whoa, the fuck came out of nowhere. Well, you know, if you looked at the red flags for the last 30-some-odd years, you've fucking seen it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no. No, it just fucking happened. Whoopsie-daisy. I don't know how bitter you're getting. Yeah, I'm getting real fucking bitter about that. Because <laughs> that's the problem I always get with modern Americans. Like, it'll never happen again. Holy fucking shit, it happened again. All we did was do everything we did the last time. time. We didn't put a president in jail for doing things that were clearly illegal. How come he came back and did it again? Fuck. Um, yeah, yeah, the fact is this. I mean, Batista is out. When he gets out, you know, the Americans are the next target because there's a whole backlog of shit that have been going on. 
So unexpectedly, we might think this had all just kind of stirred up because people got pissed and there was a breaking point. But for a lot of this resentment came from years of American interference. We had paternalistic expectations of that country after the Spanish-American War that when I read you the Platt Amendment, it's going to kind of piss you off. <laughs> um, so possible origin, at least for this particular volumes of ill will, comes from a 1903 congressional act known as the Platt Amendment, which following the end of the Spanish-American War, in order for us to pull our guys out and let Cuba govern itself, which was the intention in 1898, we basically said that Cuba would be free so long as, here's the kicker, it didn't enter into any agreements with foreign nations and gave the United States the right to intervene in Cuban affairs oh. whenever it felt necessary mm. in order to maintain and defend a, quote, government adequate for the protection of life, property, and individual liberty. That's a bunch of hogwash that basically just says, hey, I need, I'm going to intervene in your affairs whenever I want. Basically, that would, was not like the Monroe Doctrine, wasn't it? Um, I think that yeah. Okay, that was weird. <laughs> so, um... I just had a small stroke. Sorry, um, my phone was going off <laughs> as we were recording, and it stopped, but I thought it stopped recording. <laughs> and I'm like, you better <laughs> fucking not. I'm gonna be upset. But yeah, uh, the fact that we had, you know, that was basically saying, like, yeah, um, we, you can be free, uh, but we can just go ahead and fuck around whenever. Uh, but in addition to that, like I said, the amendment pressured Cubans to relinquish a lot of certain property rights. So this amendment was rescinded in 34. Its memory and the blow to Cuban pride is lasting, even into 1959 and beyond, because they are still pretty fucking pissed about it, naturally. Because we also had an overall presence that even though militarily we were gone by 59, we still had Guantanamo Bay on the eastern tip of that island that really pissed people off. A lot. <laughs> I feel like I just I see a common theme here. Yeah. <laughs> Economically too, we've got Cuba. Also, he's they're kowtowing to the United States and own all. And I think it's 80% of public utilities were foreign-owned, primarily American. Now, what I mean by that specifically is that 80% of your power, your telephone, your water, gas is American. Meaning there is no independent. It's all American. It's, yeah, and basically that means that the Americans could just shut it off whenever the fuck they felt like it. For tough. tough. <laughs> so uh, I did a little bit of digging here, and I looked for the Havana Project, which is a website that I will leave on the website. But by the mid-1950s, Americans dominated the majority of core manufacturing industries in and around Havana. So in addition to supermarket chains, was the biggest ones in Havana Americans owned. You had multiple massive retail chains that were owned by Americans. You had a majority of key tourist industries owned by Americans, we've already talked about. In America, in the major Cuban banks, we had about 25% of all money deposits were being made by American patrons. That's a lot, considering. America. 25%. Seems America. Kind of, thank you for not yeah. understanding the statistics. I love it. Anyway, additionally, we had an approximate 50% of all railway systems in Cuba were American-owned. In addition to the aforementioned 80% of American-owned telephone and power industries, that basically meant that every rate height and service outage that happened was a fucking insult that pissed them off. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I'd be, like, I'd be a little upset too. Yeah, you'd be just a teensy weensy bit mad. Just a bit. Maybe like I lived in Texas. Just a bitty boo. <laughs> this is what we call a, a financial bugaboo. This we call a Texan longhorn. Yes. So yeah, I mean, too, the major industry for Cuban nation was sugar production, so American ownership totaled around 40%, and this meant that Cuba would have to accept an amount that US that the U.S. was willing to pay for that product, whether they liked it or not, which meant if the U.S. wanted to pay, like, $100 a pound, 
or $50, they had to agree to it. Otherwise, the Americans would just stop buying it from them. And then they were kind of fucked. Jesus. Yeah, not great. And even if it isn't the American government in particular, American corporate groups were fucking doing this. So it, 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 it makes me fucking upset. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> You and your fucking big-ass house. <laughs> I don't have a big-ass house. Yeah, you're right. Why would Portland bigger than mine? That's actually true. Mine's just longer than yours. It's not bigger, it's just longer. That's what she said. It's thicker. That's also what she it's said. It's also uncut, but... um. <laughs> Look, if a girl is telling you that she's bigger than you, you have some issues. <laughs> is it supposed to be that vanny? Anyway. Um, so we had a combination too of the, the fact that there was a base here. We have a base set for confrontation, and the main man to set this off is the one, the only, the fucking internet troll before the internet himself, <laughs> Fidel Castro. Hey. Not true. Uncle Fidel. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Fidel. Uncle Fidel has entered the chat. That's fucking weird. <laughs> Sounds so weird. So yeah, Fidel Chastro, or as I titled him, the original Chad. <laughs> I love that title. Lucas is bored. He's on his phone now. And the guns. Oh, wrong episode. Wrong episode. <laughs> anyway, so like a lot of guerrilla leaders, portions of their biography are kind of hard to pin down. So sorting from what is hype and what is reality is a little bit difficult. But we have a pretty easy go on what his childhood looked like before he became that guy. So, his childhood and upbringing basically outlined that he was born out of wedlock in 1926. His father, Angel Castor y Arguiz, Arguiz. Arguiz. Martin! Well, he was Martin! A... Martin! <laughs> yeah! Anyway, uh, so he's a veteran of the Spanish-American War, and he's a migrant to Cuba from Spain. So, he's not Cuban by designation, because it's actually not its own country. <laughs> but. I'm not Cuban by designation. But I do drive a Lincoln. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I was going to say. That I don't know. Anyway. Uh, but he settled in Brienne in the Orient, or, yeah, Oriente province of Cuba, which is... I can pin it down. <laughs> oh, nice. I love you give a province they'd be like, which is... Yeah, you're right. I don't know. <laughs> it's there, though. Somewhere. <laughs> Jesus. Because um, if I give you a fucking specific area, you still wouldn't give a shit. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter about the places or the dates or the people. It's about the lesson that we learned along the way. <laughs> it's the friends we made along the way, Lucas, come on. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, his dad, though. Mm. His dad, his first marriage failed, but he'd become financially rich out of growing selling sugarcane. And when his first marriage did finally collapse, Angel, I think it's Angel. Is it just Angel? I'm going to go with Angel. Um, Basically sort of jumped to his household servant to be his mistress. And she shot out seven kids with Fidel being the sixth one. And then she built a she shed. Just like the state park. <laughs> you she shot on the she shed. Don't worry, Cheryl. We can we can. We can Don't worry, Cheryl. We got a she shot on she shed. We're gonna we're gonna we can show your she shed. Hear that, Clarence? I'm gonna get a new she shed. I'm ecstatic. He set my she shed on fire. Chris is like, I burned down the she shed and committed insurance fraud and risked going to jail to fucking kill this thing. <laughs> now she fucking rebuilt it. She built it bigger and better. It's a fucking backyard. That's just their... Oh, death. god damn it! <laughs> oh, fuck! I'm out of the house! Anyway. <laughs> the whole house is a she shed now? Anyway. Yeah, just take that, Randy. <laughs> Randy? <laughs> yeah, take that, Randall. Randall, if that's your real name. Jake from State Farm. Jake from State Farm. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, anyway, Cheryl and Hershey shadowing. In fact, <laughs> I have to try to figure out that edit. Get back to the fucking try to figure out that edit later. <laughs> Transition that bitch through. Anyway, so yeah, um, so Fidel's a six kid. He, as a child though, Castro was sent to live in Santiago de Cuba, which is northern area of Cuba, sort of northeast, if I'm correct in that. I would say it's either north or northeast. <laughs> I'm not good with locations. Get off my fucking back, okay? <laughs> Problem. You can fucking help. Google a fucking map of Cuba. I don't have it on me. I'm fucking sorry. No, it's just funny to me. You're like, oh, this, this problem. I'm gonna spitball it. You know what? I actually don't know what Providence is. I don't know where it is, but it's it's in that place. You know what? Pretty man? sure it exists. That is literally me and every fucking history teacher I've ever known that's in the field. It's like it's over. Fuck. It doesn't matter where it is. It's here somewhere. Lord, don't ever let you teach fucking geography. That's all I have. I can teach geography. It's just on the fly. I'm not going to fucking remember where Santiago de Cuba is on a map. I fucking doubt it at this point. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) That's a guy who's nowhere near a school. (laughs) Checkmate, asshole. This podcast alone. (laughs) I could. I would get it done faster. (laughs) Fuck you. Anyway. (laughs) Fucking don't bring my fucking abilities into question. (laughs) Santiago Cuba, Jake. Yeah. Where is it? You know what? Fuck you. I'm getting the laptop out. I'm oh, Googling no. it. No, no. I'm right, and I know I'm right. Fuck off. We're gonna, it's going to be an hour. No, Jake, let's keep it moving. We're good. I'm Googling it, though. I wouldn't know where the Brienne province is because it's fucking with me. He's dope. <laughs> you continue with the goddamn All right, anyway, we'll just suppose where we're going. So, yeah, uh, Cuba was, he was sent to Santiago de Cuba, and he was living with his teacher for whatever reason. I guess they decided to do that. Before he got baptized by the Roman Catholic Church, as you do. As you do. As you do. So, uh... Winning Cuba. That's what they say, huh? See what I did there? So, yeah, uh, he went in, and when he was baptized uh, at the age of eight, he then went to some pretty private schools, for what it's worth. He was pretty fucking badly behaved, though. He was a difficult kid. And uh, he actually sense. was moved from one to another school, or he went to a Jesuit school for a while. He so, put one school in front of the other. All right, fucking calm down, old man. <laughs> all right, and so... soon you'll be fucking across that floor. Oh, fuck's sake. So anyway. What, you don't like my claymation holiday special reference? No. Brienne. The Brienne promise. I spelled it brain. I'm an idiot. <sighs> <laughs> this is a great fucking audio. Fuck! I'm not editing any of this either. It doesn't funny matter. funny as hell you do this. <laughs> it's fine. It's the whole point of the life. It's the Brienne parameters. It doesn't matter. Um. Fuck it, alright? I never learned to read. We'll do it live. <laughs> anyway, so um, so yeah, he he was moved to a Jesuit school, and then as he grew up, of course, naturally he started going to more prodigious schools because his dad was rich. He's a rich boy. Prodigious or prestigious? Prodigious and prestigious. <laughs> God, I love my neighbors. I love sound interference. <laughs> I had to go outside. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, and he, as he grows older, of course, he becomes a student for the Havana University. It's you. Yeah, it's you. How badass do you think their marching band is? The is it all just flamenco dancers? 
<laughs> it's just a bunch of dudes in zoot suits scooting around on the fucking football field. God, you really are a fucking racist. Jesus, <laughs> not. That's what we call satire. It, it, it was something. I know you were kidding, Jake. What I would love, though, if that is an actual thing somewhere in Cuba. They actually have, like, flamenco dancers as, like, a parade thing. I would (laughs) fucking go. I don't care. I love those people. They're great. But, uh, you you missed an opportunity to go, oh, those people? (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm letting you you roll. You let me roll. That way, uh, no one can ever stitch anything and claim that I endorse this. (laughs) You put it on. You're the one who puts it on the internet. Hey, man, I just post what I'm told to you. You can't fucking if, if, go, I was just following orders, Albert Eichmann. It doesn't work like that. If I don't post it, Jay told me he was going to beat me up. I'm going to send you to the camps. <laughs> I was going to send you to fat camp. <laughs> I had to post it. I <laughs> Just like, that's my threat to you. If you don't get it done, I'm going to send you to fat camp. <laughs> what? <laughs> Say, don't have any sort of dessert there. <laughs> I mean, Snickers bars. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> that was so good! What about, no, what about not me when I'm hungry? <laughs> what about Mars bars? It's the same thing! <laughs> well, it sounds like you're not you when you're hungry. Jesus <laughs> Christ! We're never getting sponsored by stickers, stickers ever. I we're Mars bars. Sponsored by stickers! Stickers, man. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. So, anyway. Casper, you're finally just putting in your... I just thought of the German accident again. I'm sorry. So, you Anyway. I'm good. Anyway. So, yeah. Once he's in the university... Castro finds his footing a lot in politics. Originally, he said, he actually admitted that he was politically ignorant at one point in time and became deeply involved in both student activism and a gangsterismo culture within the university. Do you know what that means? No, I don't. Please. Well, congratulations. You failed this portion of the ACT test. Good. No, please explain what the hell that is. <laughs> the fitness gram pacer test is... <laughs> no, basically... On the, on the first beat. On the first... <laughs> Each beat, each will get consecutively faster. After. I'm gonna have to play that just to remember the fucking way it goes, because I I despise the pacer test. Um, after the podcast, we okay, can yeah, take yeah, a trip yeah, on yeah, that really. So yeah, basically this gangsterismo culture is basically that there were separate gangs in the university who were fighting for power. Oh, that's actually kind of what I was gonna. That's the road I was going down. It was pretty much what was happening. There was violent too. This wasn't like pranking. This wasn't like Revenge of the Nerds where you decide to like take a guy and wedgie him up to his fucking pocket protector. No, this was going into a dorm room and shooting six people. Like, the way that I imagined what you were saying originally, I thought you said that, was like, like, say, if you enter the math building, I'm gonna put a cap in your ass, Holmes. You called me racist. <laughs> I don't claim to be good at that accent. You're definitely not. Right. Anyway. Much love to anybody who's Latino or Oh, Cuban. man, you have fucking pissed off all of MS-13 in that. Turns out MS-13 was our big listener base down in wherever it's from, Honduras or Santa. Where are you guys from? Tell us in the comments below. I guess they're making a trip up here now. I just want to know where they're from, at least their country, that's all. I don't want to know their names. What? It's going to let you roll again. It ain't weird if you don't make it weird. 
He's like, if you just get a guy who's called Cop Killer or something like that, or like as some aggressive like El Portebo or something like that, it's just like actually we come from various places all over Latin America, and we're so happy that you show some interest in us because really it's only because man, I don't have a good home life. And I just want somebody to listen to me. This is not a fucking Hallmark movie, Jake. This is not. This is what fucking Freedom Riders is. Yeah, but this, this isn't real. Why couldn't you fix those children? Because <laughs> it's not real, Jake. It's, it's not a fucking real. movie. That's right. You're right. It's <laughs> not. That was based on a true story. It was, so In some situations, that does work. That does work. Yeah. But very rarely. I've tried. I tried with inner city kids at one point. It's very tough. Some of them do. Not all of them, though. You can't get that whole the whole class turns around and goes on to college bit because that's not gonna fucking happen. Anyway, um, yeah, it's around this point. To lean on. Thank you. Lean on me. Lean on me. When you're not strong. I love that somehow they managed to fold that into talking to a Holocaust survivor somehow in that movie. Oh yeah, it did. Not unusual. Did anyway, I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying it was kind of weird. Anyway, so uh, there's a point too around this here that he does get passionately into anti-imperialism and. Kind of into anti-Americanism, because you know how it is. When you're in college, you're you're all like red blooded, and you want to get free college forever. You voted for Bernie Sanders because you liked the way his mittens looked, and then because he didn't win, you set fire to a public library. You burned down the Reichstag, so to speak. Yeah. Congratulations. Lucas is planning to do that. Um, but he definitely was super against any sort of. For legal reasons, I must say that that is untrue. But you're not denying it. I am denying it. That's you're, untrue. You're, well, you're not, though, because you didn't say it. Except for legal reasons. Which means, even though it may be an opinion of yours. How about this? I'm denying How about this? It. Woodward and Bernstein are going to come down here and flush you out for fucking information. Do you want me to do that? Huh? Do you want to bring the big dogs down from the principal's office? First of all, I don't think they're even doing those, those calls anymore. Pretty sure. Do you want to be cool as he did, though? That'd be fucking dope. Anyway, uh, so around 1948, Castro did enjoy a short lived marriage. He did move to America and was studying English in New York City where he comfortably settled into a capitalist lifestyle. He bought a new Lincoln. You know what he needs? Yeah, I'm not. Keep that tight. Keep that Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah, it basically is like, I just love the idea of like Matthew McConaughey. He's like, sometimes, where am I going? It is a road to capitalism and communism. Maybe the road's not there at all. Why is there a duck in my car? Sometimes. I'm Fidel Castro. Welcome to London. Sometimes you're, uh, you're rowing a boat in the middle of the ocean, right? And you come upon, a, you hit something with your your oar. And you're like, shit, is that a pig in the water? And you hit another oar. And it's like, shit, is that another pig? And all of a sudden, I swear the fucking water's full of goddamn pigs. <laughs> sometimes and shit, I'm on the bad pigs. Sometimes, hey, in my Lincoln. Sometimes I'm riding my Lincoln across the sea. I'm captain my Lincoln. And I land in the Bay of Pigs in, in 1961, and I'm like, hey, JFK, eat my ass. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, he's a time traveler, you know. So, uh, this didn't really last for him. sounds you're looking for? Listen to this. <laughs> doesn't even know what the fuck. It's just the Lincoln Lawyer soundtrack. <laughs> well, yeah, but... Uh, that's good shit, huh? <laughs> naturally. But this shit's far, right? <laughs> so anyway, this this really didn't last, though, naturally, in about three months after he returns to Cuba. Because he's just not, not, he's not all about it. He goes back to being a revolutionary, man. He does resurface in the summer of 1953, though. And uh, this is when he and Arden Van attacked an army barracks in Santiago de Cuba. It didn't go well. <laughs> All right, Jake. Now where's Santiago? 
<laughs> Shut up, Dad. You're good, aren't you? Yes, I am. Just want to make sure I'm right. It is in the northern part, because I remember it. Fuck it. I don't know. <laughs> Map, you got to work with me here, buddy. It's never low. This is beautiful. God damn it. Oh, shit. Hold up. I had it. Okay, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? <laughs> I'm so under pressure. Stop it. Under pressure. Fuck, it's on the southern side. Oh, you suck. If I do, suck my dick. <laughs> southern side of you asshole. Get your geography. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I try, okay? Yeah, well. I fucking try. You know, try harder. <laughs> Sort of youth soccer coach? Well, fucking your best isn't good enough, Jeremy. When I was in the Marines, I killed a man with my finger. Listen, Why I, do I get to I, learn about goalies? I take time out of my life to coach you little sons of bitches. So That's why you should never be working with children, period. That's why you should, you're sitting there talking shit to me about not knowing geography. And you're sitting here, like, fucking talking about, like, how a kid doesn't know, like, ne- like, I would never Larry Bird, and you're getting all up on his shit about it. I would never say that. Shut up. Yeah, you say that, but when the when the chips are down and you're against the wall, a man will say anything in front of a child. Is that by experience, Jay? No. <laughs> Other teachers have done it. That's why they don't. They're not allowed. And why I fear one person in our friends group is not going to do too hot at that. Um. is a beautiful place. Text one eight hundred idle. To tell us your selection for who in our friends group wouldn't be good at as being a teacher. No, anyway, no, don't. Lucas, do uh, you just did it for the walls. We know you did. No. And for the pay. I really intended. You did it for the pay. Yeah, that's why I want to be a teacher because of the pay. That's a, that's a funny joke. <laughs> I love people and be like, you do it for the pay, and I'm like, go fuck yourself. You realize that. I do it for the kids so they can better themselves. You fucks. Watch Lucas turn that one around. No, that, that was good. No, is I support, it? I support no. your comment there. No, you know what? How do you like that? I feel hollow because I just live off of your criticisms. So you want me to criticize you? No, I don't. I don't want you to really do anything. You sick little fuck. No, <laughs> You like that? You. <laughs> That's really weird. <laughs> I feel like deep down this whole friendship and podcast is just a deep set motive for you to just sit there and make fun of me without actually doing it. You're just like... Yeah, you're fat and stupid, but we love you. <laughs> Never say that. Thanks. You can't fucking read a map cross-eyed. Never say that shit, Jesus. Well, not out loud. I didn't think that. Anyway, moving on. So, yeah, um, from what I remember about the raid on the army barracks there, I think it was Montendo. I had to make sure. I got the name wrong the first time around when I was trying to say it, so I have to actually look at it because it's a little strange. Uh, Moncada, that's what it was. It was Moncada. And they did that around 1952 to 1953. And so basically the whole way that that worked was that he had gained a lot of followers by sort of bouncing around from place to place, stealing and being a little bit of a Robin Hood type, you know? <clears throat> stealing from the poor to give to the poor. Or to give to himself. Um, <laughs> And the idea was that basically if he attacked the barracks, that it was going to spark off the revolution that he'd been looking for. Well... Didn't actually work too well. So, according to what I have here, is that he had about 165 revolutionaries on that mission, ordered his troops not to cause bloodshed unless they met armed resistance, because naturally, if you're going out there and killing people, it's going to harden the other side against you. That's kind of the way that Antifa doesn't work, 
and how our like aggressive protests and, and vandalization, even at like a modern level, when we talk about like American right, cities, here's the thing: is that Antifa go. is not necessarily always violent. Well, no, I'm not saying they are, but when you do get violent, if when we've seen people get violent, whether it's Antifa or whatever, definitely on the right side because they always fucking get violent. Well, you lose the hearts and minds. You do, yeah. Yeah. So if you want to start a war in Vietnam, you gotta win hearts and minds. You might be wiping those hearts and minds all off of the fucking sidewalk after the bombers come over, but, you know. And then you can come in with, uh... Tanks? No, when we, oh. when we return to Agent Vietnam, Orange. I just imagine us uh, renting a, a specific singer from England. Uh, you know, I believe his name is Mark Morrison, and he just comes out, and all you start hearing... Oh, I was gonna say the guy return from Fog Hat. I was gonna say the guy the guy from Fog Hat, but yeah. Nah, I like Return of the Mac, but I feel like that's a good entrance song, you know? Just let them know we're there to party. Americans already go to Vietnam and party quite a bit anyway. So. They did, yeah, they did. That's why a lot of them came back with syphilis. Um, and it was not well. It, it took place on the 26th of July of 53. They ran into trouble with three of the 16 cars that had set out from San Diego failed to get there. I don't know what happened to them. They got to the barracks, the alarm was raised. Then they got pinned down by machine gun fire. And uh, four of uh, their guys were killed before Castro decided to order them to pull back. And the rebels then suffered another six fatalities and 15 more casualties and in in, uh, being wounded. Well, the army suffered around uh, 19 and 27 wounded. So 19 killed and 27 wounded. Castro gets captured after running off, and uh, they finally got him. We got him. He's going to be pissed that I keep dropping him, but I'll call him in a, in a bit. It's my younger brother. Anyway. Um, Who should not be named? Shall not be named. But yeah, he got captured, and uh, he was sentenced to 15 years in jail. Ooh. And that's for some fucking unbeknownst reason. Um, Batista decided to cut it down to two. <laughs> to fucking what? You know what? I think you've learned your lesson, man. Two years, please. Yeah, not everybody else got fucking executed. <laughs> but yeah, no, Batista, whose image did take a hit from the evidence that the state was torturing and executing a lot of the political perpetrators of the attack... Let him go, because it was supposed to make him look good, and the election was happening that year. Which, to be honest, doesn't make any sense, because he's the only fucking guy that was winning. <laughs> Who cares? But yeah, he uh, got exiled out to Mexico, and he met up with a young Argentinian, Ernesto Che Guevara. That was just a butchered pr- pronunciation. Guevara? You want to fucking do it, then do it. No. It's fucking a big game for somebody who can't fucking bring his balls to court. <laughs> Return of the... Like Larry Bird out here trying to fight Kanye West. <laughs> Speeding it. What the fuck? I don't, don't even talk to I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, um, the, the two of them, they unite up. They saw some common ground, and they ended back up going through the Yucatan Strait and mounted a second attack. According to Batista's government, that second attack was also a failure, and Castro died. <laughs> what part of that one's wrong? Yeah, no. So for some time later... We found out Herbert Matthews, a writer for the New York Times. He tracked Castro down among the Sierra Maestra, which was a sort of series of mountains in Cuba at that point. Very rural, very, very remote area. A good place to hide, for sure. And basically came back with the word that he was still gathering force of popularity amongst the peasants. He was, again, kind of a Robin Hood. So that flourishing support did pay off. Castro restarted his attack, and he pushed Batista out on New Year's Day, and that elevated his position, because not only within Cubans, in Americans, because Americans fucking hated Batista, because they saw yeah. him as a fucking monster. Batista at this point probably just 
Really regretting his decision. Yeah, Batista to fucking just, decided to just Audi 3000 this one. Really, really regretting his decision to just be like, yeah, you know what? Let him Maybe go. I shouldn't have taken 13 years off that prison sentence. Yeah, I know, pretty much. So, Crasso's aura, <laughs> these crystals, <laughs> were rather complicated to this point because his success in overthrowing a brutal dictatorship, one relatively friendly to the U.S., is, you know, for socialist aims, Americans met him with a series of three ca- sort of feelings. I almost said causes. There was adulation for that cause, suspicion of his goals, or outright hatred. That was especially cute among Cuban Americans who lived in, like, Florida in that area. Some of them had moved. And some of them were still some, like, hardliners to, you know, Batista. Lucas is fucking around with Snapchat, which is always good. As you can tell, he's just done. I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm involved. I'm here. I'm here for you. I hate you so much when you say that. I'm here for we. I'm gonna throat punch you so hard. <laughs> yeah, no, but like I said, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, no, that hatred though did come a lot from a number of directions. It was Batista loyalist and mafiosos for sure, and not just some fucking really racist white people who didn't like communists. Yeah, they thought socialism and communism were the same fucking that's, thing. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah, everybody in the south. Yep, this a this hatred was an overhanging problem, especially on his first official visit to the U.S. Because for Castro, he didn't give a fuck. <laughs> he got death threats. The State Department was his escort. The police Department was his escort. There was no FBI, really. There was definitely no CIA escorting him. They couldn't afford that. No, he actually <laughs> came without a inform. He didn't come over with a formal fucking invitation from Eisenhower. He just went. The... He's mad ladded his way into America. And Eisenhower was so pissed he didn't meet with him. <laughs> yeah. What's amazing about that is he didn't give a shit, though. So he's in, he lands in Washington, D.C.'s National Airport on the 15th of April, 1959. Was it Dulles? What? Was it Dulles? Uh, it was just Washington, D.C. National Airport. It might have been Dulles, bro. But no, it wasn't Dulles because he was still alive at that point. Oh, it could have been Dulles. But actually, I think Dulles at the time was actually in the hospital with terminal cancer. At this moment, literally, oh, so, this, so he, the airport wasn't his yet. Gotcha. Dulles, head of the CIA? Yeah. CIA. Yeah. Also a fucking asshole. Um, he oh, was yeah. on an offensive. A charm offensive. A charm. It was but literally a charm offensive. What This was a charm offensive. It was because he had succeeded in ousting a dude that most people didn't like, but no one knew anything about his fucking, like, direction he was heading. So, coming to America, Castro's National Lampoon's Vacation. Oh, God. I rammed it together. And this is, ladies and gentlemen, this is the final chapter of the story. Jake has written this out as a narrative. No. Yeah, <laughs> This is the finale of 37 and a half shades of gray. Well, this is the finale of part one of Bad Picture. Yeah, so pretty much. We got more coming up. So, the moment Castro left that plane, he was flanked by ministers and advisors. He was very official. He had a security screen around him. He was surrounded by a fucking chain link fence. People had come to see him. Naturally, they were interested. You got a lot of beatniks. A lot of people snapping, doing a little bit of poetry. Everybody's wearing sunglasses at night. Say spoken word, Adam. Yeah, pretty much. Spoken word, talking about how the man is getting you down. And, uh, the man getting you down? Yeah, pretty much. So he came out, and he had kind of made a little speech. There was a podium next to the airplane. He was supposed to go into a limousine, and he bypassed the limousine, and he went right for the crowd. <laughs> and the State Department and the police like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Because they had death threats all the way through that people were going to kill him. Because that was going to look pretty fucking bad on the department if he got killed. Yeah. He just literally jumped into the crowd. 
just said yeet. He just yeeted into the crowd. We got the crowd sucking. They love me. Yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah, he went everywhere he went. He went for the people. He wasn't going for the pol- like the politicians, except if he had to. And I think that's kind of what led to a lot of Americans as he was there seeing him was sort of like, oh, this guy's not so bad, because they were looking at the people. That's why a lot of people like JFK, because JFK would shake hands individually with people. You ever seen like, I mean, a good example of why a lot of people like JFK was if you've ever seen the, the footage of him at the airport before he gets assassinated, he's shaking hands oh, I know, I know. with people individually. There's no security screen. So a lot of people saw that as kind of being like kind of the common man because he wasn't afraid to go out there and shake hands with people. So he gets off the plane, and the CIA's already got an assessment on this boy as to what they think he's going to be like. And i got to find it. I've got to go all the way back. I've been highlighting a lot of shit in here. I hope you own that book. I do. Okay, good. No, <laughs> it's a fucking library book yes. that I loaned from the I'm Congress. I'm fucking highlighting all the way through. All the way, pretty much. I, I mean, I did that with the last one. I did that with, uh... You did the last book you got? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the CIA did have some level of... They were looking at him already because they're like, we don't really know what the fuck to do with this guy. Because he's just... Uh, he's just there. He, he was very much an enigma. <laughs> Wrapped in bacon. Turned to chocolate. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. That fucking golden corral cheese. <laughs> That's what America means to me. 9-11 and Golden Corral. That's all it is. You know, I question that pretty hardly, but we're going to skate right past that. Yeah, we're we? going to do it. I'd like everybody in the international community that's listening to this podcast to know that's what America's all about. Somebody clip that. Dude, send that to the Washington Post. It'll be great. Just cancel. Yeah, pretty About what? That we're fat and stupid? No, if you say... We are! If you said your version of America was Golden Corral in 9-11. <laughs> Pretty much. What do you think the 2000s has been? More than that. Never forget. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, CIA did have a first-hand report from Cuba around the time he shows up, and they said the Castro was erratic, tyrannical, and this is also from Rosenberg's book, uh, and bloodthirsty. Good. Just happened to be by plane in Washington, D.C., and somehow, somewhere, it kind of makes it sound like he was eating people's children on the way there. But uh, since arriving in Havana at the start of the year to take the reins of the government, Castro had either ordered or allowed executions of more than around 500 Batista supporters. Which, again, when we talk about like people sitting there like Castro was evil, Castro was good. Castro was good in ways that helped the people, but he was evil in the fact that he used extrajudicial violence to get his means finished. The idea was everything was basically just a means to an end for the socialist revolution, so... Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even gonna go into that one, but um, yeah. Uh, between executions, he did. He was stated to be delivering a lot of stupendous diatribes. I love that statement. Uh, some lasting as long as three or four hours, just like this podcast episode. Um, and a lot of them laced with anti-American sentiments, cause he was a man who was pretty pissed off. Uh, and in fact, a lot of American senator conservatives like Barry Goldwater. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Were particularly alarmed by the fact that he was fairly aggressive about it but you had a lot of other people along the other ways sort of in the more liberal and pro-Castro areas of the yeah. government and uh, Senate who kind of saw him as a man who even if his means were not that were probably blown out of whack they were still kind of concerned by the fact that and this is a direct quote from it that they were concerned of a man who quote slept a couple hours a night kept himself awake with the high doses of ben- Benzedrine and fell frequently into incoherence when talking and had, in general, 
gone haywire. <laughs> Where'd fucking go? And so he steps off the plane, and he's pretty much normal. He's a very well-behaved person. They would have assumed he was rowdy, you know, kind of making a scene. He was very quiet. Broken English like a motherfucker, but that's pretty understood. Yeah. And so they're basically saying, like, oh, well, okay, let's see how this goes. At every event, he was on time, he was punctual, he was well-spoken for the most part. He talked about wanting to get to know the Americans better. He wanted to have a better relationship. There's not a lot of statement that he wasn't exactly not genuine about that. He might have actually wanted to do that. But we start to talk in the next episode here that things shifted his viewpoint. The America decided to get a little fucking paranoid for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the whole way through, he was going to like boys boarding schools and the government meetings and fucking luncheons and he was going to a bunch of shit he actually i think what the thing that brought him over here the first place was the fact there was a fucking publishers meeting and they wanted him to come so all of a sudden the state department had to fucking scramble and get a defense force together to keep this guy alive (laughs) and so he's just literally there's no joke in this he is yanking people all over he is going over. He's giving everybody a fucking migraine because he is so, like, erratically, like, jumping into crowds and shaking hands. And he is he's skirting the line of getting shot in the head so close this whole time. Like, there were people, they were getting phone calls of the FBI that there was, like, people trying to kill him, like, every 25 minutes. It was literally, they were getting phone calls of a car going up, like, Jesus. International Interstate, like, 154, and they would send people up to go after him. It turned out that dude just had a shovel. <laughs> And then it was four guys going back down, so the cops had to turn around to go back. And they would just get these phone calls every fucking day for, like, the seven days he was there. So everything through this whole period, though, that they got from him, though, was that he was pretty good. Considering the bearded appearance made him look a little sketchy. You know, we're talking 1950s America where beards aren't exactly in the go, you know. But he's got this fucking thick-ass beard. makes him look like a... What pirate? Like Patchy. Yeah. Patch the pirate. Patch the pirate. Actually, bigger than Patchy's beard. Damn. Strong. <laughs> Damn, he got that game. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> See, Lucas is just like, uh, if I can only say a few words every 15 to 20 minutes while he's talking, <laughs> then that'll make me feel self, not so self-conscious, and I can say I did my job. I edit so much. <laughs> Good. Anyway. So, yeah, uh, he was on his best behavior. It was good. Uh, There was one incident that I just cannot not talk about before we're done here today. All right. He was going to speak in... Azerbaijan. No, no, no. (laughs) No, he was going to speak in Central Park. Oh, God. uh, Look at my other note here. Let's see what day it was. April 24th, 1959. He came in early. The speech wouldn't be told that night, and the speech itself was fucking wild. They had, like, thousands of people. They shot out spotlights, and then the cops on horseback came. Because <laughs> this park was only meant for, like, 2,000 people and 20,000 showed up. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so he's he goes to the Bronx Zoo with his people because he's bored, naturally, like any 12-year-old would be. Yeah. And um, he's there, and I'm actually going to read it just word for word from this book because I I can't not read it this way. It's just amazing. He's there and as the whole thing is going forward to, and by the way, he meets with Richard Nixon. Uh, but uh, I'll talk about that in the next episode. 
I ran over that because we're, we're kind of running long on time here. So he's there and that trip. He decides that, well, we're going to go to the zoo. Naturally. And so as he's at the zoo, <laughs> he's out there and they go down and they're sauntering through the zoo. And they're passing by parents and their kids. And he's in the green fatigues with the hat. And he looks like what he usually looks like when you see pictures of him with yeah. like the military garb. And he's walking past. <laughs> he's enjoying himself immensely, according to the books. <laughs> he fed potatoes and carrots to the elephants, which is this fucking bomb as fuck, you know. <laughs> he offered sugar to a gorilla. Was it Harambe? We don't know. No, it was Harambe. I think Harambe lived in, like, Ohio. Oh, then I would have fucking wanted to be shot, too. Um, it was... <laughs> he ate a hot dog and rode on a miniature electric railroad. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> that, last that mental image. The mental image. Because we're from Wisconsin, so if anybody knows Bay Beach, there used to be, and I think there still is. Well, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, I bet you do. Uh, that was contentious. You patronize me, you asshole. You don't want to up. <laughs> if anybody's gone to Bay Beach or Green Bay, which is a great place, by the way, if you have kids, it's a water park. If and you it, do. If you do. <laughs> if you don't, what the fuck are you doing there? I was trying to be contentious. That's for families. But, you know. Not for you, you pervert. Anyway, um, they have a kick-ass go-kart system. But one of the best things, they have this like miniature metal train that you can ride around. And I rode that thing as a kid. I think I made my dad fucking hate it forever because <laughs> he used to ride it on with me. It was, it's, just, it's basically just a one-way track. And I love it, the idea of this man <laughs> who is so gruff and badass to fight and win. And he's a freedom fighter. Eating a hot dog, riding a tiny train. <laughs> the mental image is amazing. I ride tiny train. Yeah, I, I ride the tiny train. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Uh, Mr. Castro, we have a speech. No, I want to go around one more time. <laughs> no, actually, he actually goes a bit of a mad lad here at this point. The, the point, to the dismay of anybody who was present at the moment, especially those charged with keeping him alive, according to the book, this is on page 24, by the way. He leaped over a protective railing and reached his fingers through the cage to pet a Bengal tiger on the cheek. Oh, oh my god. Yeah, and he states to the tiger, this is like prison. I have been to prison too. This is pretty badass. That's a badass moment. Christ. But fucking this guy's insane. Like fucking bald by a tiger. Oh man, you put your fingers through the cage and that tiger let him do it. <laughs> he is badass. But yeah, no, that whole thing with the fucking, that whole thing with the zoo, I could not leave out. I was laughing uh, so oh hard god. on that shit. Oh my god. So that's a little treat for you. Nope. Next, no, next. not quite oh. done. We're almost done. Almost done. Yep. Uh, so facing congressional questions, the big question was this: Are you a communist? No, I'm not a communist. And a lot of people will wrap this up because this is where we're at. CIA analysis for a post trip. They were pretty convinced he was a communist. He had to repeat himself 50 some odd fucking times to say it. They assumed, you know, he's probably got some socialists and some communists in his group, but he himself is not a communist. He's just tolerating them. Richard Nixon's impression goes as follows. <laughs> just listen to this. This is good. I love it. Because Richard Nixon was so full of him. He's so sure of him fucking self. About the way things were. 
And this is what he says. I gotta find it again. Not academy. Not academy. Not academy. Not academy. Still going. Still going. He goes and states this. Oh fuck. <laughs> It basically came to the conclusion it was this. I, I paraphrase a little bit for. Him. I wanted to look at it and see if it was really necessary to fully pour it out. But basically, Nixon said, "I've come across stating." I've come across. No, no, I gotta do it myself. What the fuck are you doing? I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you over to Cambodia. You're gonna fucking like it. Why am I taping myself? Shut the corner off. Anyway, he goes up and smashes the window and leaps out the building. Ah! <laughs> Next to the word here. Anyway, yeah, but Nixon came to the conclusion that it was like, I, uh, I have to say, he's uh, he's the best hope we've got. <laughs> what he said. Oh, said he no. didn't like it, but that's the best we've got. <laughs> he did not say that. Dude, he did say it. Oh, Jesus Christ. It was just so wrong. It's like but... fucking taking the long list of shitty Nixon takes. <laughs> For sure. Uh, overall national reaction was kind of split 50-50. I mean, some people liked the way he behaved. They thought it was, you know, believable and genuine. And some people thought that the left wings were cucks and were being cucked by Castro. Because they're a bunch of snowflakes. Wonderful. And with that... And with that, uh, that is Bay of Pigs Part 1. Oh, my fuck. The first picnic. I'm just kidding. It's not I'm what it's like you said picnic. Picnic. Picnic, picnic. Anyway, um, I hate you so much. <laughs> we'll be back next time with part two. We're going to really get into the meat. Of We're going to get into his real, like, turn to communism and, oh, it starts to get real weird. Yeah. It doesn't get good. So it's stick around for that. Uh, that's going to be coming Touch. up soon. Heidi. Heidi Cole. Where can they find us, Lucas? I said that in the beginning. Keep no, the you can find us on? You can find us on Patreon. No, not yet. Maybe soon, though. Only fans. Not only fans. Uh, keep those ratings coming though. We appreciate the ratings. So. On what? Nah, stuff. I don't know, like Apple. All right, that's a good take. All right, bye everybody. Bye. <laughs>